How's it going, folks? This is Nimic and Trox back with uh, another exciting episode of Squinting, squinting at the Good. Yeah. Have you been doing much squinting lately? I have not. I uh, Most of the time when I, I go to work before the sun comes up and, uh, you know, I don't drive west, which means I don't have to squint because I... Uh, so, so you're actually looking away from... I am looking away you're from looking the good. Away. Yeah. You're, you're averting your eyes. I'm averting my eyes, yeah. yeah. I've always thought, maybe we should get some metaphysical sunglasses. Metaphysical sunglasses. You know, uh, so I don't know if we're quite at this stage of uh, where we start merchandising our brand, as the, the hip people nowadays <laughs> would call it. But uh, given that we did just get a Twitter account at uh, SOTG Podcast, I believe is our handle. Oh, SATG. SATG podcast is uh, is our Twitter handle, and of course we do have our squinting at the good Facebook page and uh, squinting at the good at gmail.com If you have any pressing emails that you want us to, any questions you want us to talk about, we'll you know entertain the thought of them, and uh, you know fill us uh, metaphysical sunglasses if we ever if we ever had the yeah. merch store, you know my, sunglasses. It's my, not a bad idea. My only worry is though if we giving start... away to commercialism. Well, no, 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 no. That's not, not your only worry. <laughs> <laughs> I was really thinking of a philosophical issue. People might think we're, you know, phenomenologists because mm. we don't have true access to reality because we're looking through our metaphysical sunglasses all the time. Ooh, this is a good point. And I know, I know you take very, you yeah. take great offense to me <laughs> call the phenomenologist. These are fighting words, calling me a phenomenologist. Ooh. Yeah, if, if, but if you're, wearing, if you're wearing your, fed, uh, your, your metaphysical you're, sunglasses. If you're wearing your metaphysical sunglasses all the time, you only have access to so, the phenomenal world. So they do you make... don't have access to the nominal world. Ooh. So they do make, they do make some, some really nice wooden sunglasses that we could uh, inscribe things on the, uh, the side of the frames, right? Yeah. You know, where the... I don't know. What's the, what's the technical term for the part of the glasses or the sunglasses... That have uh, the ear hook, you know, like the side piece. What is is that like the glasses sidebar? Um, wow, that's that's a good question. Because the, 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 I know parts that, of glasses. I know that you have the frames, right? right which that are just the, the whole thing. The whole room has the lenses, the lenses, which are the glass. are are the glass or the the polycarbonate nowadays for the most part. Uh, but what are like, you know, the rims are are the the things that hold the lenses in. But what are the uh, What's the other piece of the glasses, man? Yeah. Uh, we need to consult our handy-dandy uh, personal computers that we call phones. Yeah, well, I'm actually looking at the Wikipedia you're look, you're page, at the Wikipedia for, page for, for glasses. For glasses right now. Does, does, it, does it have anything? It has a section on parts of frame. It has a whole long list of the, of wow, the parts. Wow, there's, there's that many parts? Uh, well, yeah, apparently. So what are, those little, what are those little plastic ear pieces that go onto your, or not ear pieces, that go onto your nose, the nose bridge pieces? What are those called? Okay, well, let's, let's... This is a pressing philosophical wait, question. Wait, you would like the little nose pads? Yeah, like the little nose pad thingies. Pads? I don't know. Okay. We'll, we'll find. We'll find out. Okay. We'll find out. Okay. The first part is a uh, is the rims, right? Which mm-hmm. is the stuff that actually surrounds the lens. The lens, okay. Yeah. The bridge, which connects the... The two lenses. The or the two, two, the two rims. rims. Okay. The chassis, Ooh. which is the combination of the bridge and the, and the rims. So... The chassis is the combination of the bridge and rims. Right. But, okay, that's just... There may or may not be a top bar or brow bar. Which ah, if, you're, if you have, like, aviators? Aviators. Yeah, you have the top bar. Yeah, or you're, or you're just... Your brow into, bar. Into, I guess, it, were those 80s? Come up in the 80s? Yeah, those were 70s, 80s, yeah. 90s glasses. Yeah. yeah. 
They're making a resurgence, though, from my understanding of uh, personal fashion. Yeah, let's see, nose pads. Okay, so they're called nose pads. Nose pads. Okay, okay, official, official term, guys, nose pads. Let's see, sometimes uh, there are plastic or metal caps which fit over the top of the rims, or also called eye wires. Okay. So, I guess, like... Those are, like, for protectiveness. I, I, I've seen... I've seen some glasses people wear who work in factories that'll have like little side guards. Well, no, they're, they're like right here. Oh, like top? Yeah, like the top. So, so the magic of radio, you really can't say right here. <laughs> right here. Uh, for, for context, Nimic wears glasses. I, I wear glasses. I wear glasses too. And I'm pointing to the very top of my glasses right now. Yes. The very top of the rim, which is the part which holds the lens, right? The chassis. The, yes. The chassis. The point of the chassis. Is the, very, the very top of the chassis. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. Oh, they're called temples. That's interesting. Oh, well, that makes sense. I mean, they, they go where your temples yeah, so, are. Yeah, so the, the long part of the glass... I took my glasses off now. We can't, <laughs> we can't see this. Uh, so so this, this brings up a side tangent. We need to start a live stream. I don't know if this is something you listeners would be interested in, but we've, we've, we've considered a live stream. Yeah, please send your... Please, please the letters of your... support if this is the case. It takes a lot to convince me of things. Yeah. So, so send us send us a tweet, send us an email, post on our Facebook page, you know, yeah. let us know you we, want us to we, actually see what we look like yeah. in person. We want live stream, say that. Yeah. But okay, I'm holding <laughs> you're holding your glasses <laughs> for the not camera, the... for the not camera. I'm holding the very long part that goes back around my head and they're called temples. They're called temples. They're called temples. Okay, so we could get a pair of of sunglasses that were really nice and inscribe on the temples. Metaphysical sunglasses. Metaphysical sunglasses, yeah. 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 That way people could look at them and be like, oh man, you're wearing metaphysical sunglasses. You're a big shot. Yep. Yep. You can look right at the good. Ooh. You don't have to squint. You don't have to squint. You can just look at it. Oh man. Although you can't always do that, though. Well, Sometimes you have the sun's like, too bright. You have like really awesome like uh, like eclipse glasses. That's true, the eclipse yeah. glasses. Yeah. I, I like how we like are taking this like looking at the sun as the well, good, like way too literally way too literally <laughs> neoplatonism i'm sure there was some blind blind guy who was you know yeah. just devastated that he could never look into the rain yeah. of the sun there's a few more parts okay there are the temple tips oh well, that makes which sense are yeah, the little, little pieces the little plastic rubber i don't know different glass different things mm-hmm. which go mm-hmm. to the very end to keep your ears nice and comfortable yeah uh let's see the hinges of course well yeah that's, that's pretty self-explanatory and that's got to be it, right? There can't be any more parts. Uh, apparently, this part right here, which connects the connects wires... The, the, it connects the hinge yeah, to the, the hinge temple. to the temple. Right? Which that's, connects the, the temple to the hinge and the hinge to the chassis. Right. Those are all separate pieces, too. And what are they called? What are they called? They're just called... Pieces. Connect. Connection yeah. pieces. Oh, pieces that connect. Every other part had a, had a technical term. And they're yeah. just the connector parts. There's actually different types of temples, though, too. Oh, really? Yeah. So, uh, what are these different styles? Let's see. There's the. I love how we're making an episode, which of the first wow, no, ten, just, ten minutes is going to be reading a Wikipedia page. Well, this is this is important. No, it's 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 wonderful, and yeah. I think this just goes to impress upon you the goodness that is Wikipedia. Often. Oh, this is true. Wikipedia in academic uh, standing is is often maybe bashed a little bit too much and too frequently and maybe a bit too hard by everyone. They're saying, oh, it's Wikipedia, it has to be inaccurate. But man, Wikipedia is some of the most accurate accurate information you're going to find ever because it's all crowdsourced, and while people think that that's a bad thing, it means it's actually a really good thing because everyone, everyone likes to correct people on the Internet. It's like a universally found <laughs> enjoyment. 
And being able to one-up somebody and prove that they're well, wrong. It's is... just a very good repository of information. Not necessarily all. Not you shouldn't trust it all the time. But that doesn't mean ninety-five percent of the time. Well, I mean at least maybe more. Yeah, but I, I mean, deposit like ninety-nine point nine. I think I think the amount that you should trust Wikipedia is the amount you should trust any other you know non-peer-reviewed source. Wow, even the peer-reviewed source. Take Oof, every that's take, a hot take. Take everything with a grain of salt, honestly. You so know? Wikipedia is just as good as anything else there is. Yeah, well, there's some things Except that are better. Except for the basic works of Aristotle, of course. <laughs> there are some things better. to beat that. There are some things that are better, but anything that you that you don't, you know, you can't personally verify, you're like, okay. So, so, so what, are, what are these different types okay, of, the diff- of temple temples? Types. Let's see, there are skull temples, mm-hmm. which bend down behind the ears and follow the contour of your skull. Oh, wait, so those are sort of similar to what evenly against the soul. Yeah, mine kind of sort of follow the bend. But down I, I suspect head. those are the ones that are like explicitly curved, where yeah. it's like makes almost like a C. Actually, I think so. I think they go down a little more. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Let's I've see. seen those. I think uh, I'm not reading. I'm not seeing this picture. So I, there's I, no pictures here. There's oh, just, it's just, it's just descriptions. Text. We should we should contribute to this Wikipedia page by adding pictures. And next to all of these parts. Yeah, well, that, if I could, if I, you know, had that you know, wherewithal, that wherewithal, yeah. I would. So, listeners, uh, those of which who have uh, some wherewithal, we need, to, we need to add some pictures to the glasses fa- uh, Wikipedia page. Yeah, that would be excellent. So That'd be helpful. The next, so That'd be very helpful. So the next time we come back to do this in a couple of years, yeah, talk yeah. about glasses, because we'll, we'll, we will have invariably forgotten all of these things. Oh, yeah. Well, no. by then we might actually have metaphysical sunglasses, which are would be available for purchase somewhere. Right, and then we could use those as the picture for one of these. Uh, that's very true. That's very true. That's that like, would be, that's like free advertising. That's a that's a very clever and very sneaky way of promoting the brand. This is very true. Okay, this is very true. Okay, so what next, are the other next types? type? Library temples. Ooh, that sounds nerdy. Which gener- which are generally straight and do not bend down behind the ears. Okay. And they hold the glasses primarily through light pressure against the side of the skull. So that's it's almost mine. Mine are mine are a little bit down, but not quite. Right. I think yours are different. Okay. Let's see. Okay. Let's see. The one called convertible temples, which Ooh. use either a library or skull, which can be used as either library or skull temples, depending on the the bend to. That's, huh. That sounds that's, like it's kind of like flexible, like you did. Yeah, that maybe isn't what I wear. I, I don't that's, know what that that's is. That's sketchy. Okay. Okay, the riding bow temples, Ooh. which curve around the ear and extend down to the level of the earlobe. Oh, so this is what we. This is what I was imagining. For the skull uh, temple. For skull temple. So yeah. then it would seem that you would wear skull temple glasses. Yeah. Uh, skull temple temples. Yeah. Used mostly on athletics, children, and industry safety frames. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. And the last one are comfortable cable temples, mm. which are similar to the riding bow, but are made from a springy cable of coiled metal, sometimes huh. inside a plastic or silicon sleeve. The tightness of the curl can be adjusted along its whole length, allowing for the frame to fit the weaver's ear, the wearer. I weaver? Ooh. Not the weaver, the wearer. English the we- is hard. Yeah, English is hard. The wearer's ear curve perfectly used for physically active wearers children and people with high prescriptions heavy people with heavy lens people with heavy lenses <laughs> where there's gla- like two inch thick lenses <laughs> where the glass is going to fall off your face unless you have something in the back to catch them this is true this is true the, the people who who need a little bit extra help yes yeah so uh so that probably that probably means that that's what I, they look like by the way there's actually a picture oh, there's a these. picture oh well then that those are the ones i was thinking of yeah, those are the ones I was thinking of. There you go. So there needs to be more pictures, guys. More pictures. More pictures. More pictures. 
So this brings up a very interesting topic of uh, how many, how, how deep does a nomenclature need to go before it becomes excessive? Oh, that's a great topic. So, so, <laughs> so we have glasses and I always just thought that they were frames, right? You have lenses and frames and that was all of the, uh, that was, that was all you really needed to do. Um, uh, you know, it, there, there doesn't need to be a finer refinement, right? But like there's, there's a technical name for every single part of the glasses, except for the weird piece that connects the chassis to the hinge and from the hinge to... There might the even be a technical name for that, too. But it, I'm not a, it would seem that at some point this would approach excessive levels. Yeah, so, uh, you know, what this actually reminds me a lot of, this is a, this is a question I've actually... Maybe you might be able to help me answer this. This reminds me a lot of Aristotle and, uh, <laughs> and the distinction between, uh, between you know genuses and mm. uh, species you know that is a that is a very technical topic that you would think me being an Aristotelian would be able to speak on however at this current moment I do not remember it enough to speak to that well okay th th this this is what I'll say but I know there are differences and he specifically mentions one as being a, a subject of the other and from what I remember they uh, they are differed by a specific difference, uh, approximate difference, and a general difference. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back to Porphyry's tree, which is a way of visualizing uh, the relationships between genuses and species. But uh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how much specificity I could unpromptedly give on this. I mean, this, I mean, this is, this is, this is actually goes even back further. This is just goes to the concept of species separateness substances and well, so this goes back point. to platonic arguments about the idea of forms so there was so is there is there <laughs> so there is was, there a form of temple uh, is there a form you know, of nose plato, pad plato would say that there is a form of nose pad that is just perfect like it just fits your nose and you're like ooh baby these are the ones and <laughs> uh and he would say that all of the all of the nose pads that we currently have are just things that are imitating this form of nose pad that would be the, the, the pure platonic sense. That being said, I don't think there's a form of nose pad that exists somewhere as a substance like Plato would say. However, uh, from a Aristotelian standpoint, there is definitely a form of nose pad. But on a, on a broader question, if we go back to the pre-Socratics, say we, we, we go back before Plato, uh, to the person known as Parmenides. Now, Parmenides thought that being was univocal, was a, a phrase that you could, you could characterize him as never saying, but you know, teaches what he, what he was saying, which is that there was no difference in anything. There were no, there was no such thing as a difference. And so everything was either being or not being, meaning that it didn't exist. So things either existed, and that meant that they were being, they existed, uh, or they were non-being and didn't exist. And he said that there was no way that we could distinguish between different things because differences didn't exist. Because something that uh, was a difference was not being it was something that didn't exist and so he kind of simplistically used that type of rough proof to show that nothing could change everything stayed the same everything was the same thing um it's a very exciting world to live in. very exciting world to live in and you know it, it honestly kind of impl sameness implies lack of difference um which is funny because the lack of a lack is presumably still a lack but you know there you go and so it would seem that we live in nowadays a growing world of specificity. Everything has a technical name, almost without exception.
Ironically enough, I was uh, I was volunteering a couple of weeks back at a, a nonprofit called Project Cure with uh, my employer, and they, uh, for those who don't know, the work they do, they uh, basically send unused medical consumables, so things like uh, tubing and, and bandages and, and such, to uh, rural places in Africa. And literally every piece of medical consumable you can think of has a very technical name and a specialized use. If the average person would see a bandage, there would be somebody who would say, oh no, that is a very particular type of bandage. And so it's interesting that in our, in our more advanced world that we're growing in our focus on specificity. Yeah, well, this is, this is very interesting. So you think it's a bad thing? Mm. That, th that all these things have no... Names? I wouldn't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I think it's an interesting thing. Because if you think about it, uh, you have to understand something on a general level before you can refine things on a specific level. Which is why, you know, I understood what a pair of glasses were and what frames were and lenses were. And because I did, and because I can see them and, you know, have an intellect, I could, I could understand the names of these specific things once you told me what they were. But the average person has no need for these technical terms. And I would even almost hazard a guess to say that the person who manufactures glasses probably doesn't need to know all of these technical terms. And I would also posit to say that the person who designs these glasses does not need to know these no, that's not, terms. No, that's not true at all. No, but you can just make it without knowing a name for it. Sure. Right? Then, no, you have to have some sort of name, or else you're going to end up with a name like Connector of the Chassis and the Well, Temple. this is very true. Right? This and that's true. And that in, its, in, in, in itself is a name. I mean, you might as well have something elegant like Connector for Connector for Cater or something. Connector for Cater. Connector for Cater. I well, don't the know. Fact that the, the, the name Chassis is extremely elegant. Given that it's Actually, I think it's kind of ugly. <laughs> well, okay. Differing opinions, I suppose. But it, it's, it's, a, it's a name. That is specific to that particular thing. How do you spell chassis? C H A S I S. That's what I thought. Okay, yeah. sorry. Uh, so this also actually tangentially brings up a, a very, also an interesting point about the, the idea of nomenclatures, uh, and that is terms that are the same but apply to different things. And so the name chassis is used all over the place as a technical term. For instance, you have a truck chassis. Right, that's yeah. probably the place you hear it most. Most, most, yeah. People would mostly to think to automobiles or tanks or or moving moving vehicles, right? Um, but you also you also think of apparently glasses. Apparently, glasses. glasses have a chassis, and so it would seem that it would seem that some of these technical terms, uh, after everyone uses them and understand and understands them, it almost seems that these terms indicate a sense of formality. In, in, in not the, uh, the idea of like extravagance, but pertaining to form. That a chassis, uh, given the two examples of a car body and the, maybe the body of glasses, must be a term that refers to bodies. I, I think that's exactly why it refers to one of those two things. I'm not sure which it originated with. Oh, I, I'd presume automobiles, but I don't know that for sure. Well, well actually, no, it would probably be for glasses, because glasses predate automobiles. Maybe not. I mean, it, it probably goes back to something before. Maybe it goes back to carts, you know, horse-drawn horse, horse -drawn carriages. Maybe those had chassis or... Presumably. So the term could go back very far, you know, on the break. We'll, we'll look it up and we'll see. Well, well, well so, so then do specificity or specific differences... Um, being univocal somehow create uh, an interesting modern sense of permanities where, you know, everything, everything is, is a thing. One. Everything is one, you know. 
and all of these differences really just exist in our mind and they don't really exist <laughs> do they i mean well we already talked about how the you know the one is one of the transcendentals the one is right? one of the transcendentals there's a there's a sense in which everything is one only only in its perfected state only its perfected state um and that all of reality reality shares oneness in well, its to an extent in, in that, its in its being right yeah it exists in, in its existence yeah it shares its oneness and that it exists parmenides just argued that that's all it was was existing you know i think that's wrong mostly just because i think it's very skeptical okay basically that's, that's fair that's all that's all he really can determine that exists yes whatever his he had a very, very limited investigation. He had, a very, he had a very limited sense of metaphysics, which right. was trounced by Aristotle most prominently, and then also Plato. <laughs> Aristotle and also Plato. Well, yeah, but I mean, technically Plato first, I suppose, but then then it got reviewed and retrounced by Aristotle. Okay. Yeah. And and okay, you know, as as Aristotle did to a lot of people. Sure. Yes. Yes. Lots of trouncing. But. You know, something tells me that that Descartes fellow would would appreciate. Well, a, would appreciate uh, Parmenides. This is this is true. Descartes would probably have a soft spot in his heart for Parmenides, given like, Descartes' skepticism about a lot of things. Right, but you know, I'm just I'm just generalizing now. I'm talking you're about squinting. Things, I'm talking about. Well, no, I'm not squinting. I'm talking about things I don't know anything about. <laughs> so you're closing your eyes, <laughs> pretending they're open. <laughs> I'm closing my eyes, pretending you're, you're, they're You're open. gazing at the wall of the cave. I'm gazing at the the, the inside of my eyelids. I'm you're not gazing even... at the inside of your eyelids. There you go, man. But uh, that is that is prime that is prime vision right there. Yeah, but I'd say that you know chassis and in their definition, right? They share. Well, all a definition is 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 a description of form, right? Yeah, so, so I guess you're right. They, they, they share some sort of formality with each other. Some, some sort of similar formality. I yeah. don't know about the same. Uh, you know, sameness would be different. There's, there's, uh, there's some sort of equivocation. Of, yeah, there's definitely equivocation going on there, right? Because they're the same word that mean very similar things, seemingly. Is that what equivocation is? What are those? Yeah, equivocation. Those? So, so uh, equivalence is when the same thing is the same thing. Uh, equivocation is when the same word means something different. And so... Uh, there's for, a, there's another one in there though, right? Oh, well, there's there's several. There there's there's some of these fun little words, um, but a uh, a popular a popular equivocation um, would be the the bark on a tree and the bark of a dog. Um, you can say them both; they sound the exact same, so they would be uh, hominous, harmonious. I don't quite remember how to pronounce that word. And uh, you can obviously spell them and write them, and, and they will be identical. And so we would say that they are the exact same word, making the exact same sounds, because there are some words that are spelled the same that sound different language, is uh, mostly a quirk of spelling and not a, a quirk of language, I would argue. And, uh, but in this, in this circumstances, these words of equivocation mean the same thing. And so this can become particularly uh, confusing when you have the same word that means, you know, two different things, but they're similar. So like... I could talk about justice in two separate ways, in two separate sentences with two different contexts, but be using the same word. And so if somebody said, oh, well, you said justice was this, and then later you said justice was that, I would say, oh, well, I was, I was talking about a different kind of justice or a different ah, sense of justice, right? Ah. And that becomes even more nuanced because it's very clear that the, the outer covering of a tree is very different than the vocal harmonics of a dog. But, you know, it's very different when I'm talking about justice in the sense of particular 
or justice in the sense of general. Both of those are, you know, use the word justice and uh, you can only tell by context or maybe other specific adjectives around them that uh, distinguish the two. Yeah. And, and so this really brings up a, a more broader, interesting point on language about how we have words for things. Yeah, well, this, yeah. Language is interesting. Language, language is, is extremely interesting. interesting. What, what, um, what's, what's your take on language? Well, so presumably, language, I would imagine, has its common, common origins across cultures in the sense uh, of a shared experience. And so the most basic form of communication that we can ever, we've ever really kind of seen is, uh, you know, the, the, the bartering hand signs that you've seen, you know, maybe, maybe uh, governing the exchanges between white men and Native Americans. You've, you've, you've seen on TV, maybe people trying to exchange, you know, point to this, you know, jingle something, point to that, you know, rub your belly, you know, certain, certain seemingly equivalent signs across cultures that the people have used for barter and then they assign sounds to them to make them easier. Um, I think something that's a lot more fascinating actually than just language, because that seems to just indicate, indicate ideas, so some sort of expression of, of the intellect, but writing I think is actually extremely interesting because theoretically it's not required there's no reason for it out of necessity insofar as getting your thoughts out, right? Like, I can describe to you something and never be literate. I can never read or write anything, but I can talk perfectly fine. I can speak perfectly fine. I can think perfectly fine. And so from a from a social standpoint, it would seem that it's not required, but it evolved pretty much everywhere. There's, I don't think there's any uh, uh, native not... origin traditions or oral traditions anymore that exist apart from well, writing, right? Well, I, <laughs> I think that's because writing uh you know has uh, the advantages that writing has given have you know sort of helped to overcome all non-literal cultures i suppose uh, it's but true. there are certainly examples of complex civilizations in history that didn't have writing uh the incans most notably this is the one people always point out the incans really i didn't know that the incans did not have a system of writing as far as we know so it's possible they all got destroyed or something, but that, possible but unlikely because you know people 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 were around right the Spanish were around. Were around. Yeah. Uh, we think that they uh, that their form of communication was primarily or their sort of like their sort of way of recording information mm -hmm. uh, was actually through a system of knotted strings. Really? Yeah. This is fascinating. Uh, which has a technical name. Like all things do. Yes. I yes, forget. It starts, it starts with a Q. It's like it's like called like creepa or something. Creepa. Like okay. I don't know. Okay. Maybe not. So so then this is just an analog for writing, right? Because mm. it's a it's a physical. So how would you define writing in its broadest sense? It's just a physical manifestation of audible sounds, right? Because very rarely, in my experience anyway, do written words not have an audible uh, analog, right? Like. There's letters that make sounds, or correspond to sounds. I don't know. Or there's I mean, words that correspond to sounds. Yeah, they're called Kweepu, by the way. Kweepy, okay. Kweepu. Kweepu. Q-U-I-P-U, something like that. Sounds like Anyways. a good Scrabble word. Yeah, that'd be a very good Scrabble word. Yeah. Okay, but the, so here's the thing. I mean, okay, we're talking about not as dreams in a form, in maybe a complex form of reporting. It's a physical, physical... I mean, do you consider, do you consider an abacus writing? Well, uh, no. No. But... 
it does court it is a physical correspondence of yeah a, well, i mean you know, so a, maybe we can idea so maybe we can maybe we can um it's a record it yeah be a record yeah well maybe we can make a distinction between writing and records recording information right we wouldn't say a photograph is writing, writing. but true. it certainly records information information this which is very creates a picture which well, is encoded well, yeah, but but the information is encoded in the, in the pixels in the pixels yeah. which are recorded by the camera right that's true that's so, true uh information is not you know sort of recording information is not synonymous with writing i'd say so how would you define writing oh if, I don't if know. Saying it's I'm, not really, I'm really, I'm really good at, I'm really good at saying what things aren't. <laughs> <laughs> not what they're not, not what they are. Well, you know what Saint Thomas says. Saint Thomas says something to the effect of, uh, we, 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 we can't even know the nature of a fly, right? Well, this is true. It's hard for us to know anything, you know, entirely. It's hard for us to know anything entirely, right? To actually truly know the nature of something. True scientific knowledge is extremely difficult and hard yeah. to come by. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's very difficult, which is why I'm always, you know, a little skeptical when I hear people extol the virtues of <laughs> science or, oh, we know so much or technology or anything like that. I'm like, okay. It does seem to be a lot of best guesses. Very A few... lot of best guesses. Now, some of these best guesses have worked out pretty well. This but... is true. This is true. A lot of verification of some best guesses. And you, and you look at where, you look at the, you know, material standard of living of people today versus the material standard of living of people only 100 years ago. It's true. Like, it's, it's pretty much generally accepted by all. Uh, that we breathe oxygen, right? right? Like, almost entirely. But there's always still that possibility that we just breathe something that, you know, is found near oxygen that we don't have any current <laughs> knowledge of. Well, I mean... Maybe. 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 maybe I not. mean, okay, I mean, let's not get... It might be proven that we, we, we you know, I actually mean, breathe oxygen. But only in only insofar as you can prove anything scientifically. Like, yeah. uh, I, have a, I have a brother who uh, studied math in college, and he, he likes to... So most people call the sciences, the, the disciplines of biology, uh, chemistry, you know... Uh, they call those physics. the hard physics, the hard sciences. Math is a soft science. No, no, he calls them. He says that math is the only really hard science, and that those are squishy sciences. Squishy sciences. Ah. Squishy sciences, because uh, you know, apparently, anything that requires empirical investigation, you know, that you can't prove, you know, logically. Ah, so he, he's a Cartesian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at least in this position. In this yeah. position. In, in this, this position, position, yeah. He says, "Oh, that's all. <laughs> that's all squishy at best." So, mm -hmm. so what's your what's your what's your broad takes? We moved past it before you before you uh, commented. What's your broad take about uh, our gr increasingly spe uh, specific nomenclature for things? Oh wow! Okay, going back all the yeah, way. Going there. back, going back. I, I I mentioned it, and then we got on a tangent. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. what do you think? You think it's a good thing? Bad I think thing? it's. I think it's a natural progression. Well, I think it's. I think it's a very, very good thing. Really? Very, yeah. very. Go back to the very... Oh, I, love, I love doing this. Go back to the very beginning of the Bible. Very beginning of the Bible. Very beginning of the Bible. There's Genesis. a cover. Genesis. Okay. Genesis. What does God tell Adam to do? Uh, at, what, at the very beginning? Yeah. You know, well, not at the very beginning. But you know what I mean. <laughs> like, name the animals? Well, he's still in the... Yes. Well, I mean, yeah. He's Well, I think the very first thing he tells Adam is to, like, you know fill the earth and subdue it or you know uh, i you know, don't quite be fruitful and multiply i i don't think that's his first command I, his, his first command to be fruitful and multiply would be after eve 
and he already was told to name the animals. Well, okay, well, there's, so, well it's complicated because there's two different stories. Well, this and... is true. This is true. They're both allegories, so yeah. what's the point you're getting at? Well, there's the part where you... <laughs> <laughs> be fruitful to multiply. No, 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 no. There's no. a part somewhere in there where he says, yeah, name the that. animals. Name the animals. There's a part in the very beginning where Adam Adam is assigned the task of naming the animals. And I don't remember explicitly what it says in Hebrew or Greek, if I even knew those languages. Well, so it wasn't written in Greek. So, I mean, you could get a Greek translation, but it would be a... Uh... Well, Hebrew translation into Greek. Well, most of our most of our translations that we use today are translations from the Hebrew guided by the Septuagint translation of the Greek. Is that what the is that what the uh, the Jewish people use? I thought that they still had a a reliable Hebrew original um, text of uh, it's not entirely the Torah. It's not entirely clear, but a lot of people think that Jesus and certainly the early church. Jesus might have used the Septuagint. He might have known Greek. He might not have. We don't know. Yeah. But certainly in the early church, the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, was used. So I had, uh, I had heard that there was a popular theory that Jesus knew Latin due to the way he spoke to Pontius Pilate in uh, the Gospels. Well, this is pious tradition. And is whenever, it pious tradition? Whenever, anything, whenever there's pious tradition, we need to take it, you know... Grain of salt a little bit. Well, sometimes, but you know, uh, this is actually the, oh, this is why well, this is this is this is the tangent. We want to talk about why we should be skeptical, <laughs> skeptical, skeptical of Jesus, Jesus knowing Latin. Latin, and I think this is this leads to the you know possible possibly positions. possibly errant Christological assumptions about Christ. Uh, but that's that's a topic for another podcast. A longer podcast. A longer podcast. Much longer podcast. Possibly with someone more qualified to speak <laughs> on these matters than me, yeah. because I do not yeah. enjoy the inheritance. You know, we should, we should approach the foremost expert in Christology that we know and ask if he would like to uh, do a podcast I think talking I, about... I uh, think the foremost Christolo- Christological expert that we know would just laugh and be like, that's a stupid question. This is probably true. A lot this of is... Christological questions are actually stupid questions when you think about them long enough. Yeah. But anyways, but yes, there is a pious tradition that says that Jesus knew Latin. Well, he knew all languages because he's God, right? Pious tradition. Be well, skeptical, please. Yeah, this anyways, is true. But um, because he knew all languages, ostensibly he knew Latin. And therefore, when he was at, uh, you know, he, when he was having his conversation with Pontius Pilate, <laughs> he responded in Latin. Now, I believe this is, this is in the movie, The Passion of Christ. Oh, I don't recall. And is it? I need to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure for the dialogue scenes between Christ and Pilate, they're in speaking Latin. in Latin. I, I so now, the, they, the real question is what what way of pronouncing Latin they use, but that's a that is that is a fun side question. We'll have to YouTube it later. Yeah, we'll have to look that um, one up. I watched the Passion of the Christ in subtitles, and so I uh, I got used to hearing Aramaic, which is a language I do not even you know remotely understand, and so I was. Right. I had zoned out by that time to what they were actually saying from a spoken word, and I was I was reading. Right. Although Pilot, problem, uh, there's very good light. It's very likely Pilot knew Greek, so I don't know why they would have been talking Latin anyways. You know, as a side, as a side modern solution to modern problems, you know, turning on the subtitles when you watch a movie and turning the sound off is a great way to increase your reading speed and comprehension, especially mm. if it's a movie that you know already. Interesting. I've yes. heard a lot of things that are skeptical about. You know, high reading speeds and things like that. Skeptical and, is from a comprehensive, a comprehension standpoint. Yeah, ba- basically, people say you know, th- there was a well, 
the problem is that speed reading was a big fad a while uh, ago in like the 90s or something like that. I, I do read relatively fast. Um, not as fast as some, though. There are some people that can that can bang out a 700-page book in 15 minutes and yeah. understand about 80-90% of it. Yeah, well, I think, I think th- I've read people who's, who are basically very skeptical of the, you know... Abilities of said ab- people. Abilities of said people to truly comprehend or retain well, or retain what they've read. Long-term like retention uh, is ske- I'm skeptical of with those people. But short-term comprehension, from my understanding, is, is relatively tested decently. Okay. Um, but I, it's been a while since I've That'd be interesting. Okay. Where were we talking about? Okay. We were talking about whether you thought it was a good thing for specific, uh, specific words for things. And you said a resounding yes because of the Bible, naming things. Yeah. And, Plus, yeah. I just like to name things. I like to name things. So, does naming something indicate that you have a more precise knowledge of something? No, really. Names are names are often assigned uh, relatively arbitrarily. Okay. Right. So, so um, we were operating under the idea that language developed as an analog to rational thought. So you would say that there is a uh, disconnect there. Well, yeah, well, sometimes. So, for instance, uh, it, it would seem reasonable. We'd have to do more research on this, but it seems reasonable to suspect that the that the reason you call the you know the part of the glasses that holds the the rim and the nose piece right is called the chassis, right? The yes. mainframe. We it's reasonable to to suspect that that is somehow related to the reason we call a car frame a chassis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. It's reasonable to suspect that, right? Yeah. You're right. To a certain extent, language is connected, but so so an interesting. But, friends, but but okay. But let's let's take uh, let's take something else. Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, also, you... I have I have a good example. Mm-hmm. I think maybe. So I was uh, I was having a discussion a few weeks ago with uh, my girlfriend, who is a wonderful person and a scientist, and she was reading a paper that was talking about the word for mother was argued by some, and maybe proven, I didn't read the paper, but it seemed like a pretty solid argument, that the word for mother was uh, argued by some to be the first word that's developed in any culture, and that it's almost, almost, mind you, the same word across all uh, spoken languages, and that it is some some semblance of ama. Uh, of course, in the English tradition, we say mama or mommy or, you know, mom, right? But this idea of O-M-M-A in English, you know, ama, or uh, hmm. something like that, yeah. is extremely common across almost all recorded spoken languages. And they argued, that the authors of the paper, mind you, argued that it was the easiest sound for an infant to make repeatedly um, due to the muscles involved, and that given the connection of the infant to the mother, that it was the first word. And that as a result of it, as a result of the newborn infant or the, the toddler, whatever age uh, language really starts to develop, uh, that the word for mother was what prompted language's development across all cultures, is that there was these toddlers that started making this sound, which people started realizing they were referring to mothers by, and then they started getting the idea of we can refer to people and things with audible sounds, and then that apparently started I mean, the evolution yeah, of language. I mean, it seems plausible. Which indicates that language was something that was taught to us by our offspring over time, and not by our elders. Hmm. Which is a fascinating have, statement yeah, to now. To, I'd have to think about that. That's, where we teach our young language. Yeah, that that bears some. That bears some. That bears some. Isn't that fascinating? 
Yeah, that bears some. Like if you take if you take his given significant. If reflection. you take if you take his given, which it, it isn't, but you know, it seems logical. If you take as given the fact that uh, the word for mother uh, is something that is first said by infants, and you take that as the easiest word to ever be said, that it would seem, seemingly indicate that the infants would speak that word, and, and you know somebody would realize that that noise that they're making repeatedly, you know, reaching for or around their mother, is some sort of some sort of indication that they want their mother, or they're referring to the person who gives them food, and you know then development happens. Counterpoint. Arbitra Counterpoint. Arbitrarily assigned names. Arbitrarily assigned names. Well, maybe they have, maybe for nefarious purposes, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. It's pharmaceutical names. Pharmaceutical names. Those names have come up with for, you know, for, I saw an ad for something I called, can give like, you, I can give you one better. I can give you one I better. Okay, what is it? Names of elements. Names of elements? Einsteinium. Oh, see, but that has a connection. Berkelium. That's got a connection. Okay, I'm talking this about true, but I'm, completely arbitrary. I'm talking about people that come up with things completely arbitrarily just because they sound good or they sound think good. they sound good. So have you ever have you ever seen the movie? Uh, uh, I think it's War Dogs. I think it's War Dogs. It might not be War Dogs. It had Jonah Hill and this other guy, and they were basically arms dealers. Um, and Jonah Hill had started this arms company, and he named it like IPQ or something like that. I don't remember the name. It wasn't IPQ. And uh, in the movie, somebody asks him, like, oh, what does that stand for? And he rolls off some sort of, you know, initialization of what it could stand for. And Jonah Hill's character looks at him and is like, no, it doesn't stand for anything, like IBM. Not knowing, of course, that IBM stood for International Business Machines, of which the employee tells him and then he gets fired. Um, indicating that he uh, chose the name because it sounded cool. And that was the extent of why he chose the name. And so, you know, you, you saying that made me, made me think of that scene in my head and laugh. Right. But yeah, there are there are some names that are just completely pulled out of thin air and arbitrarily assigned. And maybe we could say that there is reason behind them, and you know, because they sound good, and that were you know. But what does it mean to sound good? That's a good question. Because it would seem that you'd have to have some sort of harmonious name, right? You know, syllabic, uh, syllabic harmony. Well, I mean, when I say sound good, I mean that serves the serves the utility of whatever the namer is, you know, going for. So, for instance, I saw an ad for. Some sort of medicine called zofluta or something like zofluta. that. Zofluta. I don't know. It was it was it was, it was no silly sounding to me. No copyright infringement intended, of course. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. I don't even think it was zofluta. But you know, I'm like, well, where'd you pull that name from? Like that. That's a thin air, probably out of thin air, right? Presumably, it doesn't respond uh, correspond to any type of chemical formula, or maybe it's the name of a molecule. It's yeah. possible. It's possible there's some sort of compound in the yeah. name of that. There's but... actually a career out there for people that all they do is name things. Well, yeah, all they do is name things, but I don't know if I don't know if you realize this. They're basically they're name brainstormers, and so I think we call those marketers. Well, but they, all they specifically do is do the they they create names and they feed them to the marketers, and the marketers go no, no, no. no. Oh, that's nice for like ten thousand different suggestions. So could you imagine having that much creativity of being able to think of ten thousand? Completely original, non copyrighted phrases. Yeah. I was reading an interview. I was in. I was reading. That's surprising. I was reading an interview with this guy, and he's like, the first time I did it, I was like embarrassed because I ran out really <laughs> quickly. But you get better at it, and you read a lot of dictionaries. And this is true. You... I suspect it's a phonetic thing too. You, you learn what syllables sound good together, and you string them in different orders yeah. and pairs and, and things. 
inevitably probably comes up with a few, you know. Yeah, presumably there's some that are similar to each other and yeah. this happened. That's a fascinating career. Would you, would you go into that? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. That sounds really? terrible. That sounds terrible? That sounds terrible. But imagine if you were like, you know, uh, yeah, I can't think of anything cool named that I own. But what if you were the guy who invented the name for something that's, you know, becomes the most basic product ever? And you like Kleenex? Well, that's, that's, that's just a, there's a particular term for uh, name brand association with products. Like, you know, Escalator is a company name. Segway oh, is. I remember, I remember, I remember Frisbee. the name. It's a, uh, it's a generic, a genericized term. Yeah, genericization. Genericization, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the word Escalator, I, I, I went my entire life thinking that escalator was a technical term for a moving stairway. I mean, it is now. Well, it is now, but it's also the name of a company that... Yeah, it originally, started, it originally started as a brand name. This is true. Yeah. Kleenex is a popular one. Of course, all of these know uh, copyright infringement. I don't... Do you really have to say that? That's kind of excessive. Is it, though? Yes, it is excessive. It's now, excessive. whether we have to say it or not, we might have... I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, it I, is excessive. I, I, intend, I intend to protect my, my legal position here. You know, I don't know. But. So there have been, there's been some debate between us as to the ending of our podcasts, whether, <laughs> whether we should always end them with uh, no, catchy adverbial no, phrases. No, we're, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do we're that? Not, now, now, it might stand a reason that we often or just out of half, you know, habit, you know, and them in the format imperative followed by adverbial modifier. Yes. And then that often seems to, at least historically, become the names of our podcast. Yes. Episodes. And they're, they happen to be the way we end them and we kind of, in two words, try to sum it all up. But yes. And so the, the question is, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Should we do this? Uh, I, think, I think, yeah, your comments are requested, but I think this is terrible and we will not do this for this episode. Really? Yes. Not for this episode. Not for this episode. 